Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Don't be ridiculous. Welcome, friends, to Perfect Stranger Things, a weekly dance of joy for your eardrums. Today, Steve and I cover episode two of season four. This is Vecna's Curse. Steve and I have watched the first seven episodes, but we had not done so when we recorded this episode. In this episode, Steve and I surmise about Vecna's motivation, his humanoid form, Will's sexuality, the origin of breakfast burritos, and the sublime glory that was the local video store in the 80s. Okay, before we get to that, let's hear a few words of wisdom from the only man to truly menace Tom Cruise, Mr. Wilford Brimley. You got a story in here. This is the damn story you ever read. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sit right here and talk about it. Talk all day if you want it. It's the right thing to do. All right, so episode two, Vecna's Curse, Steve. Mm-hmm. So, Steve, I've identified seven storylines. That means I'm using an eight-sided die. If the Goocher is rolled, in this case an eight, this podcast ends abruptly. It's, just, it's the way it has to go. It's the way it has to go. Um, I'll be honest... I was not feeling it. This episode absolutely hooked me. I watched this episode. I thought, I'm just going to binge this entire thing. Now, I did <laughs> I did stop at episode three, but I, I want you to know that this was the episode that got me. Interesting. So did you feel that? Like, I mean, I guess we can get there, but like, I'm just curious if Eddie's grown on you at all. The thing that got me, yeah, maybe Eddie's grown a little bit, but the thing here's the thing that got me that really thrilled me. The scene in the video store where they're setting up home base and using the, the database on the computer. Oh, man. Narrow the database based on movie preferences. So good. I have not so seen good. that done. It makes perfect sense. And it's perfectly done by a show like this, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you, you're bringing back nostalgia. You're bringing, bringing back an era-specific technology. And you're bringing in a technology that these kids absolutely have access to. Sure. You know, they don't have to break into like Hawkins lab and use their fancy magic computers or something like that. This thing is totally believable. And I think this was the show to to do this exact plot device. I, I loved it. I loved yeah. It. Also, just if the whole show was in the video store, I'd be, I'd be stoked. <laughs> I love videos. Like it's interesting. Like I, there's a lot of things about this uh-huh. series that is that has brought back certain feels and nostalgia, but nothing, nothing like seeing the man in with one red shoe mm-hmm. on a poster, surrounded by lights, as if it's a big deal. 
the cutout mm-hmm. of Axel Foley, um, all of that stuff just was like, it, it's this, you know, the generations now will just never really appreciate the, the sheer like Wonka's factory of joy that I would have when I would go into a video store and see like, oh, what's going to be the cutout? Mm-hmm. And it's usually like the cutouts are like movies a lot of times that I'll never watch. It's like Kiss of the Spider Woman and it's huge. And I'm like, all right. I can't uh, tell you but, how how that weird science poster brings me joy. That 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 right? weird science poster just it's so much of my childhood is wrapped up in that poster. So I yeah, it was it was lovely. It was a lovely little bit of nostalgia that also worked perfectly within this particular plot and again a little bit of callback to the lost boys here yes it certainly is max's uh, video store i forgot it was called max's video store because it was owned by max right right so now we have an actual max in the video store nice all right i'm gonna roll it yeah but number three this is l mike and will Mike alights the plane and, like a fool, isn't wearing Ocean Pacific gear. That's a rad shirt, man. Ocean Pacific? Oh, hey, Mike, this is uh, my friend Argyle. Oh, hey. Oh, no, no, no. No, it's a shitty knockoff. Yeah. Don't sweat it, man. I'll get you the good threads out of here. Poser. (laughs) He's met by L, Will, Jonathan, and Argyle. Then Mike is duped into thinking that Eleven is super popular. Will, of course, disapproves of the deception. Eleven is bullied by an entire roller rink. (laughs) Will confronts Mike over being a shitty friend. Eleven assaults Angela with a roller skate. Boy, she does. And everyone freaks out. Okay, Steve, I think we need to talk about Angela. Mm -hmm. I guess the first thing is... That I thought it was great that Elle has created this popularity narrative in her life. It's trying to sell it to Mike. And in the narrative, she's friends with the most popular girl in her class. In reality, Angela hates her guts. Right. It's kind of a classic kid move to not just say that you have a friend, but then also supply the the, the exact wrong name for this narrative. Right. Because that's that's her fantasy, right? Her fantasy is that she's accepted by Angela. So that's what she's trying to sell Mike. And do you think that she's trying to sell this because she wants to believe that? Or do you think she's trying to sell it because she's she wants Mike to not like worry about her or be impressed by her? I think that deep down she feels like a freak, right? She feels like the weirdo on Maple Street. Mm-hmm. And... She is trying to perform normalcy in the best way she knows how, and she just doesn't know how. And so she's trying to sell this to Mike because she want Mike. He, she wants Mike to like her, and of course, you know she's worried a little bit insecure about that. Like Mike's a normal kid; won't he eventually want a normal girlfriend? That's my take on it. Right, not realizing that Mike's a freak. Yeah, well, yeah, she doesn't see Mike as a freak, right? Right. Like the, again, we talked about the last episode was like her her experience, her initial experience with with kids that are not in a, uh, a hospital, or it was them, and so mm-hmm. that culture seemed awesome because by comparison, 
it's it was it was exciting and freeing and all that. This scene in the uh, roller rink. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know this is a show with you know, like monsters and demi dogs and whatnot. There's no way this thing happens. There's no way an entire roller rink decides to bully one girl, right? <laughs> I don't think so. But, you know, you know my feelings on Southern California. <laughs> you know my feelings about DJs in general. <laughs> I mean, if, it was interesting because, like, the thing that, that made it, like, I was, I didn't, I mean, it, it seems so over the top, right? It's totally so. over the top. I mean, this is sort of like, uh, I mean, look, I, should, I shouldn't quibble over these things. I really like this episode. I just felt like, oh, my gosh, this roller rink is like... It's, it's like a bully's playground. There's no way. Th- it's like a. It was. It was bully porn. It was like bully porn. That's what it was. <laughs> and so, and then later, like when when she has the incident with the roller skate, and then all of a sudden you see like parents there, and I'm like, that's when I'm like, I don't. There's a like. It, it, at first, it felt like, well, is this just kids? Like, is the manager like a kid? Is everybody a kid? So like, it's ki- like there's no adult they're, presence. They're living then- in Charlie Brown's world. Right, but then you see adults, and I'm like, I think I think somebody besides Mike would have tried to put an end to this. Yeah, there's got to be some mother on on the side of the rink who's thinking, why are they throwing a milkshake on this girl and laughing at her? Right, and I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I've been to the roller rink when they switch up to like, oh, we're gonna like shoot the duck or it's couple skate. It's like it takes a lot to get people off that. You know, to get like, no, it's just couple skate only. And then people are chasing them. You know, I'm not doing couple. You know, and so it becomes a whole thing. And so the idea that they could be so well coordinated on skates, I mean, they had, they feel like they had a planet. <laughs> My son was uh, not buying the roller skate culture. Oh, yeah. He's like, there's no way all of those people are that good at roller skating. I'm like, I don't know. That's kind of a thing back in the day. You'd, you'd have people who were really good at skating out there and, Shooting the yeah. duck and you know skating backwards and mm-hmm. I was always it was impressed. a thing. He he wasn't buying. He thought it was all a lie. No, it it may not have been quite like that, but it wasn't. It was more that than than maybe what he imagines. I was trying to explain to him. I said, "Look, if you were like the first time you'd ever seen a skate park and what these kids can do on skateboards, you'd think, yeah, they, these are all professionals. There's the, you know, there's no way that these all of these kids are that good." No, they are. They're all that good. Yeah. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save 40% site-wide. 40% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right. Um, my wife is texting me. Sorry, I, I'm going to interrupt here. My wife is texting me. She's 
sent me an image of Taylor Swift worship candles Ooh. and asking whether she should buy one. Well, you we, we would want two because you need a backup. All right, I'm going to say get two. One is for Steve. <laughs> Perfect. There you go. Sorry, I interrupted. What were we talking about? Uh, we're Game of Thrones. Oh, well, did you notice well, we a... Jack and Hagar was on this episode? <laughs> I don't think I did. The corrupt guard that's trying to help Hopper get out of prison is Jack and Hagar. Oh, I didn't. Re- I didn't recognize him. Well, now, now you know. Um, do we think Will has a crush on Mike? Oh, totally. In fact, yeah. I'm. I'd be willing to put money on the painting that he's been working on is of Mike. What do you think? I think so. Well, didn't he? Because he, he brought it, right? He brought it to the airport, thinking, "I'm going to give this to Mike," and then he realizes, "This is yeah, this is this is a bridge too far. This is going to out me if I if I give this to him. There's no way." Yeah. So yeah, that's my reading on it for sure. Yeah. So I think that's and that probably explains too, maybe a little bit why he's not super helpful with L, like on top of it, right? Like mm-hmm. if there's the we are last episode we talked about some of the things that. Maybe some of the reasons why he's distracted or detached, but this might actually even be more of like, hey, I'm helpful, but I'm not going to help you help you. Hey, by the way, I'm not positive that that Will is gay, but if he is, they're playing this perfectly. And I think that it's a really interesting detail because for me, the core of this show is the friendship between the younger folk, right? Right. And all of the weirdness between like maintaining friendships with like different levels of sexuality and different levels of of attraction to the opposite sex and different levels of geography and levels of popularity to introduce Will as a closeted gay guy is I think perfect for that kind of story. Well, and also it it makes sense almost all the way through. I mean, he's been the only one that has not been interested in in girls so far. Oh, and you have that that little scene where the girl tries to play footsie. Right, right. But then, like, even before, so, like, the three seasons prior, I mean, like, he really wanted to keep the band together. Yes. And he didn't want it to be interrupted. But there was something else. I mean, like, so he was always... Well, Mike at one point says... Well, come on. You can't leave. It's raining. Listen, I said I was sorry, all right? It's a cool campaign. It's really cool. We're just not in the mood right now. Yeah, Mike. That's the problem. You guys are never in the mood anymore. You're ruining our party. That's not true. Really? Where's Dustin right now? See? You don't know and you don't even care. And obviously he doesn't either and I don't blame him. You're destroying everything and for what? You could swap spit with some stupid girl. Elle's not stupid. It's not my fault you don't like girls. I'm not trying to be a jerk. Okay? But we're not kids anymore. I mean, what did you think, really? That we were never going to get girlfriends? We're just going to sit in my basement all day and play games for the rest of our lives? Yeah. Yes, I did. I really did. Well, right, right. And then then that that awkward pause. I don't know if they've been setting it up like this, but Will is playing this character perfectly, if that's where they're going. And boy, wouldn't that complicate the the dynamic of having to all come together to, to battle something, right? And I don't know if people, I don't know if it's worth saying this, but the late 80s and early 90s, 
there were places in the country where you could be gay, and there were places in the country where you absolutely could not be gay. Right, one hundred percent. And um, so, anyway, I just it, it may be it may seem weird to younger folk now for me to say that, but that's how it was back then. And so it's it's a big deal. I mean, it's absolutely a big deal for Robin to have Steve Harrington's secrecy, right? Right. Her life is in his hands. And and of course, you know, St- Steve doesn't have the pressures of high school anymore. So it's even more of a big deal for Will, even you know, even though it's a small town in California, it's still a small town and he's a freshman. Right. All right I'm going to roll this we have a four. Max, Dustin, Steve, and Robin are on the case. Max tells Dustin that Chrissy died in a weird way. Dustin worries that Eddie is being maligned. Robin and Steve are worried about the havoc being wreaked on family video as the group sets up a base of operation. They use the family video clientele database to find someone named Reefer Rick then they find Eddie in Rick's shed and swap spooky stories. Dustin names the Lovecraft monster Vecna and compares it to a dark wizard. Again, my so far, my, my favorite scene of the show with them in the video store. Uh, what do you think about Reefer Rick as a nickname, Steve? <laughs> Pretty great. It's up there with Crazy Shack. <laughs> if you this guy this guy's a legend. That no one's really met, but they don't, you know, people have only ever heard of him. Is this possible in a small town? I, I don't know if you could be that incognito. Um, I don't know. If you if you showed me my neighbor right now, I'd be like, I, I'd have to take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Point taken. <laughs> <laughs> All right, point taken. All right, so um, I I love Dustin's thinking cap. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I I will drop everything to watch a scene between Max and Dustin. Those two are so similar in how their brains work and how they just don't take bullshit, and how they just care so little about the popularity game. Yeah. Um. Now, of course, Dustin has this thing with the Hellfire Club or whatever that Max doesn't have. But to me, those two are smart in a way that no one else is smart at that age. Right. And so I like to see those two team teamed up. And I don't feel like we've ever seen just those two teamed up before. No, and, it is, and that's what's kind of fun about what they could do is like how they can mix and match some of the ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, and even though they've introduced all these new characters over the last few seasons, like they still put them all together, and it's uh, it's it's fun to watch how it works out, and and that there's not a lot of redundancy in characters mm-hmm. either. Yeah, the the Scooby Doo gang in this particular case is Max, Dustin, Steve, and Robin, and of those, Dustin's the only one of that original you know boyish friend group. But I, I, I absolutely feel like they're capturing the Stranger Things vibe with this this group. Let's talk about Vecna. Yeah. So they're naming the monster Vecna. What do you think about the special effects of this guy? Um, they're fine. When they showed this 
monster. So they they showed this monster's face and everything on the uh, the trailer for the season. Mm. I was thinking, oh, that this is very Game of Thrones. It turns out they brought in the the ice monster special effect guy from Game of Thrones to create. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So I don't, it doesn't feel Stranger Things. It feels Stranger. It feels Game of Thrones to me. It doesn't right? Feel it does. It because prior to this, I mean, all of our villain monsters, like there's the demi dogs, which have a, a specific look. But then the others were just sort of like, especially in season three, it's like it's like just a mass, right? Like mm-hmm. it, uh, they're amorphous, more arms than anything else, and it's um, yeah, yeah, it blobish, like more like a blob in some ways. Because uh, people would just collapse and melt into the goo, and the goo would the, the monster was essentially made out of their like just their gelatinous matter, and yeah. bone and stuff, um, which was really cool. Um, but it also gave, it gave a, a different sense of um, uh, well, foreboding. It, it gave right? you the like, sense that this is an alien thing, right? Well, not only that, but it gave you it's a from sense an, of like this is from a dimension that doesn't have humans; it has demigorgons. Right. So they thought so. So it becomes almost. Even more terrifying because you're like, I don't even know if anything motivates this. What is this thing? Like, because it, it, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it, I don't know if it thinks. I don't know if it's pure instinct. I don't know what, it, there's no way for it to communicate its goal. You know, so there's no, it, it it's completely other. Right. So when you introduce a humanoid monster who speaks, who mm-hmm. uh, knows these people like intimately, right? Or at least he's, he's, infected them psychically to a way where it appears that he knows them intimately. Um, it, it's very different. It feels like uh, a different sci-fi altogether. It feels a little yeah. bit like Star Trek or it feels a little bit, I don't know. It just, it doesn't feel the same. It and... doesn't feel the same, but I don't know that I'm not in for it. I just, I don't know what to do with it. Uh-huh. And I, and again, I'm, I'm like, okay, well I'll, I'll go on this ride. I, I think it would be different if every season there was a different type of, of entity, but this one always felt like it was the same entity, maybe in a slightly different form. This is a way different form. Sure. Well, is... you started with sort of the faceless creature, right? The demogorgon. Then you had the, the kind of the the giant smoke monster that can possess a human, and then you had the flesh accumulating gelatinous spider kind of thing. And I guess this guy is a little bit spider like. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a, there's a tentacular quality to him. There's a it, um, like it, he moves. There is a little fluidity to to what is going on, and he and he can change shape, obviously, to the point where his hands change shape. Hey, respect respect on the term tentacular. That was very nice, <laughs> very so I very well done, sir. <laughs> so I do feel, and that's one thing that that's been interesting about Stranger Things thus far is that I never really cared how it worked. I just knew that it existed. Well, and that's what I liked about season three. It's like, okay, so you're going to do Invasion of the Body Snatchers kind of thing. The upside down monster clearly has a mind. You know, it's it's not a creature. It's it's sentient. But it needs Billy to communicate. Right? It needs Billy to have Billy's communicative, you know, human abilities. Well... Maybe we'll find out that this this humanoid was a human at one point, right? And the other part of this too is like I don't know, and this is where I get a little apprehensive: is that like I liked the unknown in the other type of creatures, 
and I didn't necessarily feel the need to have it explained. But now that you've introduced a humanoid that can communicate, yeah, I feel like now you have to. And so now I have a different. So now I, I care about the 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 villain in a different way than I ever had before. It was just like gotta stop it. I don't really care about its origin necessarily. I don't mm. even know if I need it, you know, to get to where I need to go. Um, but now that there's something that knows people and can articulate, and I'm like, well, now I now I have to ha- I have to know why. Like, why is this there? That that's very different from the other. So so I'm. And I'm not sure. I think that's my biggest issue with with coming out of scene, or episode two is, well, now I'm I, I'm invested in the creature in a way that I never had to be before. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I have, I don't know if I have the, the bandwidth for it because <laughs> there's so many other things to go on. I, I'm, a, I'm a somewhat disappointed, I'll be honest. That's my biggest disappointment in, in the series thus far is a talking villain. Mm-hmm. But I talked about this before. I trust the showrunners. Um, it's I, I think it's sufficiently creepy, and I think it's an interesting villain. It's just this is a very different approach, um, and it's like a hard shift, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely going for a different vibe, and I, it's, I yeah, it's definitely more Nightmare on Elm Street. Like as long as about, they I can think. sort of connect it to the previous storyline in some way, I think I'll be I think I'll be fine with it. Well, and it appears to be right. I mean, don't we get glimpses of the upside down? We do get end? glimpses of the upside down. I just wanted to make sense with what I know of the right. world that's already been established, you know. But in some sense, we don't know anything about that world other than the fact that it exists, really. Um, so, well, here's what so I, I think thought it's... I knew. This is what I thought I knew, and I could have been, I could be wrong, but here's what I thought I knew. I thought that they were messing with uh, spying technology. And that mm-hmm. L was trying to spy, and she was in this liminal space, and that she encountered a creature there, and the creature connected with her psychically and create and, and somehow created a rift between worlds. And so L introduced the upside down to Hawkins Indiana. That's what I thought I knew, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know if this is connected to that. I just I, I I think it still is. I just think that the upside down has to be bigger than just what we've seen, right? Um so this I think is giving us a glimpse into what it can be or yeah, what it yeah. has. Yeah. So I mean I there's more I mean you can do whatever you want, right? I mean that's the beauty of of they've kept it fairly vague. It's just that now they're kind of all in on a a a main baddie that we haven't had to experience before. So uh, so I'm 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 a little skeptical. Right. I mean, here's I mean I think I'm I'm probably overthinking this. I'm th- I should be looking at this like a D and D campaign where it's like, of course, right. of course, there are both wizards and orcs and ogres. You know, you're gonna and you're gonna meet a different sort of archetype in every season. It's just mm, that okay. I I like to think about these things and try to connect them. So yeah, yeah. No, I get it. All right. Yeah, so it's given me it's given me something that I'm I I feel it's it's weird. I feel distracted by the show while I'm watching the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know that that's a bad thing. It's just a different thing. All right, I'm gonna roll this. Um, we have ourselves a five. Detective Nancy takes another case. We get a little window into journalism nerd Fred Benson. 
Fred, it seems, is having horrific visions just like Chrissy did. These visions hinge on his guilt over a car crash. The Lovecraft monster, we're calling him Vecna now, wants Fred to join him. Then Fred is murdered just like Chrissy was. Meanwhile, Nancy interviews Eddie's uncle and learns of a serial killer named Victor Creel, who was locked up for poking eyeballs out, among other things. Uh, so we get, I think we, we have a bit more information into Chrissy's death because we've seen Fred's death, right? Right. And we see fire again. We see fire again. And in addition to that, we see guilt and it's very on the nose. Fred is being accused of being a murderer and you know, he, he responds, it was an accident, but in some way he feels responsible for whoever died in that car crash. And I, my, my working hypothesis, Steve, is that Vecna is sort of finding children who have experienced some kind of childhood trauma that they still feel guilty about. Yeah. Or at least, yeah, whether it's trauma or it's, it's guilt, it's, um, yeah, I think it's all those things, right? I mean, and that so that that's where I guess you could, we draw our sort of like Nightmare on Elm Street principles, or you know, because it's he would he Freddie was getting back at the the children of the parents that, um, that mm. killed him, right? Mm. And so and so he haunted their dreams, and so this has uh, I don't know if it's revenge, but I mean, like we don't know what is motivated by, but there's something here that is where he's locked in in the same way that Freddie could get in through their dreams. Uh, this Vecna uh, can get in through their, it seems like through their guilt. So like trauma, like you say, is is the portal, is the way to open back up uh, into the upside down in some way. Uh, my wife wants to know whether she should get a Snoop Dogg worship candle for my son. Mm. I would check to see what it's scented by. <laughs> You're afraid it will mask the real thing coming from his I'm room. Afraid, I'm afraid that if he lights that thing up, uh, you guys are going to go through a lot of Pringles. <laughs> are we done talking about Vecna? <laughs> I think we're done talking about it. I okay. think. Well, well let me ask you this. Let me ask you this about Vecna. What's this clock business? I cannot figure out the clock business. Yeah, so the clock is not strictly Chrissy, right? I mean, that's... We did. We assumed that that had something. Maybe I thought it was yeah. something to do with maybe her house, you know, and trying to make that connection because, like, okay, the the father is like his mouth was sewn shut, and mm-hmm. the mom was sewing her uniform, and so I'm like, okay, so the clock, the sewing, all this, there must be something specific to her. But then we see, you know, you know Freddie's it's Freddie, right? Was that the kid's name? Uh, it's Fred Hansen, I think. Yeah, Fred Hansen. Okay, so yeah. Freddie, Fred. Okay, see, I've still got Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so he sees a clock too. Um, so, so we so now we know that the clock is specific to to the Vecna narrative, right? And I th- and you know just judging by the the trailers for season four, there's going to be some kind of haunted house thing happening. Right. And so the, so this clock is ticking. Clocks can serve a lot of purposes. When you hear a clock ticking and usually like in something horrific, it, it suggests that a time is coming. Something's about to happen 
Or I was thinking because it's there's a haunted house theme that when they go in the haunted house, there's going to be some sort of like that'll be the way into the upside down. There's some kind of door behind the clock or something like that. Because it's interesting that they see the clock independent of their psychic experience. Mm-hmm. It, it shows up in their world. Hmm. It's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I don't know what to do with that. I'm going to roll it. All right, we have ourselves a number one. This is Hopper, Joyce, and Murray. Turns out that Hopper hopped over the railing of the catwalk. He fell to the catwalk below, but did not get vaporized in the blast. He was disappeared to the Soviet Union, where he was tortured and eventually sent to Kamchatka. Joyce and Murray use Murray's old-timey VPN device to call a payphone. Turns out that Hopper is being ransomed for 40k by Jack and Hagar. <laughs> All they have to do is bring the money to Nome, Alaska to meet someone who might be a corrupt prison guard. So this this is so this feels weird. The Russia right? stuff? I mean, cuz especially cuz it's like, I mean, we we just went through a whole season of the Russia stuff and that's fine. I mean, we're trying tying it all back together. But like I mean, there's so much going on with this new bad guy that it's it's I'm fairly preoccupied. So I want Hopper back, but I also don't know how again, they get we're, a lot of stories. I mean, you know, this this feels like the most that they've done, right? With these these, mm-hmm. because they're not a lot of these folks are not even in the same physical place at all, right? Like like you said, we, we expanded beyond Hawkins, but now that means that those storylines, I mean, they're not going to connect for a while. So they they have their own life to them, right? And it, I think I'm having the hardest time getting engaged in, in bringing Hopper back. Well, okay, so here's my question. Like, is this whole storyline just to remove Hopper from the equation so that you can have this small-town murder plot in Hawkins without Hopper? Because this story is much different. Chrissy's death is viewed much differently if Hopper is on the case. Right, they even make reference to the fact that is this... Can the new chief handle this? Yeah, right. I mean, the first thing that Powell does is call someone else and say, I need help. I don't know what, what's going on here. Right. So that doesn't happen if Hopper's on the case. I, I'm i a little bit worried that the, the Russia plot is just a device to get Hopper out of the story so they could make this small town detective story work. Maybe. Uh, and bring back the Scooby-Doo vibe because the cops don't know what they're doing. Well, and again, the assumption being that if Hopper's going to return, he's going to return via Joyce. This means he's going to return to uh, Southern California. So he's not even going to be in Hawkins. So that's going to be the idea that that would pull him, right? How do we, you know, something's going on in Hawkins. Mm. Mike's got to go back, right? Because Mike's got to go back home. Something's gonna, He's going to hear something about what's going on. And then, uh, mm. and it, so it, it's, this, this episode did a lot to get the hairs in the back of my my neck up a little bit to the point where like, like I did definitely feel like, well, I got to see what's next. I didn't, I, I was interested in seeing what's next after the first episode, but this one definitely, I think to, to the point where you said you were hooked, all these little things, like they, they came together quickly, uh, even though these are longer episodes for sure, um, to the point where I'm like, I got to know. Okay, but but of them all, like I almost feel like, all right, just get Hopper back. Like I almost don't care about how at this point. If they if there's a way that it, it adds more to the story, great. But I kind of of all those little 
threads right now. I'm like, just get Hopper back. Let's move on. You know, I kind of feel like 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 that's that's one that I'm least interested in right now. Well, for me, I feel like I'm willing to forgive a lot just because I'm liking the Murray and Joyce combo. <laughs> I like those two together. I feel like Murray only works with certain characters in the show for some reason. And uh, like, for instance, I'm, I don't think I'm going to be curious to see the sort of like a Mike and Murray together or something like that. Right. Well, like Murray, Murray frustrates Hopper. And I think that that's kind of fun. And they frustrate each other in that way uh, because one's more brutish. The other one's thought thoughtful, yeah. theoretically. And, but then but the Murray Joyce thing, which is funny, is like Murray makes Joyce a better person somehow. <laughs> well, she can play the straight man. Right. Yeah. And I think that and, she does that much better than playing the crazy person. Right, and then like his his manic yet also somehow grounded kind of like live in the moment kind of thing is, is well his crazy matches the crazy of Hawkins, right? Let's go! This is life or death. Snap, snap. Right. So in any other world, he's nuts, but because he's just crazy enough to sort of get his brain around the kinds of things that are happening to our main characters. I'm going to roll it. We have ourselves a six. This is Lucas versus Jason. Mm. By the way, everything going on with Lucas, I'm loving. I'm loving everything yeah. happening. I think that that's, for me, that's sort of the key of the show so far. Um, the basketball team plots to find Eddie. Jason, the basketball dummy, is convinced that D&D is to blame for her death. Lucas conceals his true identity as a nerd and watches the satanic panic hysteria of the 80s at work. Um, I think I mentioned before that I think Lucas is sort of paralleling Nancy's progression in season one. Right. This is the episode where he decides, no, I'm going to be popular. There's going to be consequences for my popularity, but I'm absolutely going to choose this friend group over that friend group. Right. Right. And I just, it, it's perfect. It's perfect for the show. And it, it's totally plausible. It's totally plausible that, that Lucas is the one because he's in with the sports guys that he's going to find a new friend group, you know? And then of course you, that puts him and Dustin at odds because Dustin is absolutely convinced that Eddie could not have done anything like this. And I, I get the sense that Lucas knows that too, but he's absolutely not going to stick up for Eddie. No, he can't do anything that's going to link him to anything other than the group that he's in right now. And I did like what I feel like what happened in that sequence where, you know, he the 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 speech to rally the players to go after Eddie. Um it it, it did flip the satanic panic narrative a little bit on its on mm-hmm. its side because it's it says, well, you know, you're all worried about the danger of this other group but the reality is is that this you know almost any group where you're willing to follow anybody um kind of blindly Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. can can have can have uh violent and dangerous consequences as well and so that's so you know if you if you're willing to follow somebody who's passionate and like so i think you see what a click clacking sorry about that (laughs) good lord um did you teach your dogs to tap dance? Well, that's just Django, man. Django just click clacks everywhere. 
Like the other ones just sort of like move like dogs. But Django was just, I, I, you know what? I will invest in little dog socks for all of your dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so when we're it's recording, it's just that Heather's home, so they're going back and forth to wherever she's going to be, and, <laughs> and Django's got a little of that little of that Tony Danza quality. <laughs> the other thing that this does, Steve, is that it gives us a perspective into the basketball baddies through the eyes of Lucas. And it also gives us a perspective into the D and D squad, uh, through Mike and Dustin. Yeah. And I like how, um, Max's character is really nice for this because she's, she's in neither group. Right. So she, mm-hmm. and she might be fine with going in any, either one of them, but there's a principled stand that she's taking. So she's sort of a, you know, she, She's a woman without without a team. You know, she doesn't have. Well, she she's her own person. But I, I will say this: I think Max is absolutely doing the best acting on the show. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I agree with that. What she does with her face, the way that she delivers every line. Uh, my son noticed it. He wanted to pause just to kind of give her praise. I was feeling the exact same thing. This actress is absolutely killing it this season. Yeah, this she was she was good in the previous season, but this is like I mean, she does so much with so little. She's super convincing. Um, she's funny when she needs to be. She's um, mm-hmm. you know she 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 carries emotional gravity of scenes really well. She makes some really good choices as an actress. Which she is, talks which to is adults in a convincing way. But I can only help you if you're truthful. If you open up to me. Yeah, I know, I'm, I'm being open. She actually is convincingly I'm being a teenager. Open. Yeah. Thanks, hey. And I like that. I'm going to roll it. This is the Sheriff Powell investigation. Chrissy is super dead. Everyone is freaked out by her disfigured body, and Powell makes a call to someone who might have more expertise. Powell and Callahan question the basketball dummy Jason. Jason knows nothing. He runs out into the woods and screams. You want to talk about Jason? You mean as a character? Yeah, as a character. Like, I don't know. Um... There are, there are, so if, if we look at it, you've got Eddie, you've got Jason, you've got Angela. They feel like they are these over-the-top representations of, of an idea. I, yeah, I feel like on occasion this show will grab like an 80s high school archetype. And that person will absolutely play into that archetype. So you've got this guy. He could absolutely be in, you know, Emilio Estevez in, in the Breakfast Club. Right. Or he could be like, you know, the, the, the basketball player who's opposite Michael J. Fox in Teen Wolf or something like that. This is a very recognizable sports bully that we have not met in this show yet. I mean, we got a little of that with Billy, but Billy, he had a different vibe going. Jason right. has a very specific 80s jock persona. Yeah, it's, it's interesting what the show will do. And that, this is, I think, some of the times where I, I wonder, and I think I, we saw this with the um, the punks in season two and uh, mm-hmm. maybe with uh, like three had some 
really broad brush strokes on on characters as well, but they fit in with the movies of the time. Yes. But so it feels sometimes a little uh, incongruous because everything else is played so well and so thoughtfully that then they bring in these archetypes, like you're saying, and then they, they kind of become larger than life and they become it takes me a little bit out of the the show because everybody else is is really hitting all the notes just right mm-hmm. and they're, they're using it they're using the 80s as a backdrop as opposed to like a full homage and those caricatures feel more like an homage and mm-hmm. they feel a little out of place with the rest because it feels like all of a sudden there's cartoons in in yeah. the world that they're living in and then they have to interact with them as if it's really happening and so it does it does create then on the flip side of that it's like well you made a point earlier too like hey i forgive demidogs and demigorgons and dragons mm-hmm. and but i don't know if i want to buy a roller skating bully scene that's so well choreographed <laughs> so it is something about us right that yeah. we're willing to do so many things that like okay i want to find out more about this tentacled no-nose swamp thing freddy krueger that can infiltrate their their psychic you know space um, but man, that Jason seems over the top. You know, like it is a weird thing. <laughs> well, here's the thing. To have. Like, here's an analogy. So, season three had this henchman who was after Hopper, who was sort of one dimensional, and I was all in because it was a conscious homage to Terminator, right? Sure. Here's Arnold Schwarzenegger after Hopper. I knew that that's what was happening. So I knew right. it was sort of one dimensional. It was a wink to me. To, mm-hmm. en- to enhance my enjoyment of the show. To me, Jason feels a little bit like that. Like, I know he's yeah. not the best. You know, you put him opposite Max, and of course, he's not going to be a great actor. Right. Um, in fact, I think his accent even changes from episode <laughs> one to episode two. He went from sort of East Coast to, you know, kind of Midwest, in know, in a weird way. But for me, it's like, yeah, in Teen Wolf, Styles has a New Jersey accent, and I'm totally fine with it because it's Styles and it, there's nostalgia right. there. So anyway, I, I I'm in, I'm in. Yeah, and I think it is. It just it's just a retraining of the brain because I think it's the same way. I forgave Eddie in that way, way and sometimes I forget to forgive Jason. But it's like I have mm-hmm. to remember that there's. In the same way that they've created this world and they've created these main characters that that they've fleshed out and they've made some, you know, invest, they've invested in them in a way that I'm invested in them. And and then so around them are are cartoonish monsters Mm -hmm. and also cartoonish bullies and cartoonish henchmen. And, you know, and and that, you know, once I settle into that, that's kind of part of it. So it is kind of a fascinating approach when you really take that step back where they've it's not just the the upside down that they've created to be over the top it's it's high school yeah you know? that's and, right. and it's it's real life and so there's something about that i think that is kind of clever um but it does take me it takes me a while to recalibrate all right i'm rolling it steve we got ourselves an eight which means Oh, Jesus, man, that's a goocher. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. All new Pulp and Prestige this week. On Tuesday, we'll cover the latest episode of The Walking Dead, The Ones Who Live on Pulp. And on Thursday, we'll catch up with the latest Samurai subterfuge on FX Hulu's Shogun. 
Then on our House of the Dragon feed, Anthony puts on his Maester's class on Monday. And then on Thursday, Steve joins him for Electric Bookaloo as they continue their discussion of George R. R. Martin's A Clash of Kings. Find these and many of our other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Rick, how you doing, buddy? You, you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, do, do you even know what it's like out there? No, not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne into cell phones, that kind of thing. What is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train. That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judith with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of left them to be raised by... Negan and Daryl. Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, well, Rick is getting ready. Aaron and I are, too. We're preparing to once again recommission the Watching Dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, the ones who live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. FX is adapting James Clavell's best-selling novel, Shogun, into a 10-part miniseries this spring. Set in the shogunate period of Japan at the turn of the 15th century, Shogun depicts the rise of a feudal lord to Shogun, as seen through the eyes of a shipwrecked English sailor. It's loosely based on the real-life exploits of William Adams and Tokugawa Ieyasu. Shogun has already been successfully adapted back in 1980 with a widely acclaimed miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain, featuring intricate plots, political scheming, complex characters, and thrilling action. This time, husband and wife team Justin Marks and Rachel Kondo try to recapture the successes of the novel and early adaptations while increasing the levels of historical and cultural accuracy that are often perceived as flaws of this and similar works. Starring Hiroyuki Sanada from The Last Samurai, Mortal Kombat, and John Wick 4, with Cosmo Jarvis of Peaky Blinders, Raised by Wolves, etc., joining the truly massive cast required to bring this complex world to life. Join Aaron and I each week as we deep dive into each episode, uncovering the mysteries, the intrigue, and the glory of Shogun. Shogun premieres on FX Hulu Tuesday, February 27th at the two-part debut. Our podcast will release each Thursday thereafter. Get our Shogun coverage by searching for Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. How old were you when you first had a breakfast burrito? Yeah, that's a great call. Like, because when that got introduced in there, I, I that was a game changer for me. I'm trying to remember, um, and was I don't know if it was that young though. I don't think it was that young. I think it was when I first had a breakfast burrito. I think I was in college, probably. Yeah, I would say I was maybe late high school, but I it seems like it was post high school for me. I guess it, it's possible that the SoCal folks were doing breakfast burritos before the NoCal folks were. But I don't know about you, but when, when I got introduced to the breakfast burrito, I'm like, this is all I'm doing ever. Like, that's it. I will say this, Steve. 
one of those complications about being an adult is that I feel like I make the best breakfast burrito on the planet, and I know just how I want it. Right, right. I would put my breakfast burrito up against any breakfast burrito, and so if I like encounter a breakfast burrito at a restaurant or a fast food joint or whatever, I become a snob now. I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. I will not order it because I don't think that they can do it as well as I can. Yeah, I've, I've done like chilaquiles, mm. not a breakfast, bur- like I did, it, I was at a brunch place and the breakfast burrito was an option and I'm sure it was going to be wonderful. But again, I think the same thing. I'm like, yeah, but are they going to mix it the way I want? Are they yeah. going to layer it the way that I want? Let me it? ask you this question. Potatoes or no potatoes in your I breakfast? usually don't, I don't, when I make them, I don't put potatoes in. I, I can't stand potatoes in my breakfast burrito. How about beans? It's a texture thing. Like, I don't mind potatoes. I just don't want that texture in my... Potatoes with eggs is like, it's, especially in the burrito, it's like, I don't know where one's ending and the other one's Mm, beginning. Yeah, that's that's not right. But how do you feel about beans? Do you put beans in your breakfast burrito? I don't mind the occasional black bean, but I don't want it to dominate. I want the eggs to sort of be the, the eggs and the avocado to do it. You want the eggs to be the beans? (laughs) Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I I probably had my first breakfast burrito probably mid-90s. Could you imagine in 86 if we had a breakfast burrito, how different our life would have been? <laughs> uh, I, I definitely had a breakfast burrito because Taco Bell started to introduce breakfast when we were at the JC. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, those were weird. Taco Bell is some weird hybrid that no one's quite figured out yet. Well, it's funny. You'll go buy one. They have a big old sign that's like, we have breakfast. And I'm like, that's the weirdest, like, that's got to be the least thing to brag about if you're Taco Bell. <laughs> that would be like me, like, like running around telling people my penis size or something. It's like, dude, just maybe don't talk about that. That's not your best attribute. All right. <laughs> why, why not in there? 